Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Excess Access All Areas, episode 124. Yes, that's correct, Hayden, 124, the podcast that dives deep into all things great about this band, gets them into the Hall of Fame, do it with a lot of patrons and fans, plus also with my friend B. How are you, B? I'm good, thank you. Yes, we missed a trick there, one, two, three, um, and mm. I really looked hard to see if I could find some uh, audio <laughs> footage of Michael saying one, two, three, but yeah. I spent quite too much time looking for that. <laughs> yes. So for those who uh, go back and listen to last week, I called it episode 121. We'd been away for three weeks, so I was a little bit out of loop. But, B, why do you get so stressed about technology? <laughs> you haven't got time, Hayden, have you? So I would tell you otherwise. Sorry, listeners, before this show, I said technology gives me anxiety. So uh, I thought I'd throw B in the deep end. But And and Hayden not knowing <laughs> about technology gives me anxiety. Touche. Correct. Well, we're in episode 124. We're having, going to have a lot of fun today, but uh, uh, we can let the listeners know that it is official. We do have the John Farris episode, well, the recordings at least, in the uh, in the bank and looking forward to getting those out in a couple of weeks' time, B. I was just overwhelmed when he, he flew in on his, shape, on his uh, spaceship. It was very cool. What a lovely guy. I can't wait he to was. share it with you, everybody. Yes, it was a really good interview. And so in so- fight, um, I'm, well, he's going to tell us so much stuff, isn't he? I can't wait to share it. Yes. Well, we won't let the cat out of the bag too early, but no, we can. So- we can we can say there are two episodes going to be coming up in two weeks' time and three weeks' time, respectively, and we think you'll be in for a treat because uh, we do cover a wide gamut of topics and areas, and he was a very giving, uh, uh, I guess, contributor. Although, B, we can say initially, uh, we do always politely ask, uh, how long have you got, John? And he said, oh, I've got at least 30 minutes, uh, <laughs> of, which, of which we sort of fell off our chair Roger Rabbit style with the tongue hanging out, <laughs> and we said, well, your brothers did... Andrew gave us three and a half hours. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, we, we did settle on an hour and a half, so he was very kind to extend. And um, yes, Well, we need be... Kerry to thank for that. Thank you very you much, do. Kerry, if you're listening. Yes. Now, B, what's mm. come across your in excess world this week? Um, well, a, a few things. First of all, I'd like to say a big thank you to Lisa Mack for going to the Don't Change concert last week and handing out flyers. And that then... Um, is a big hello to all our new listeners. Um, And I want to say hello to all the people that have got in touch with me over the last week um, who are going to help me with the filming of our gig on the 26th. So um, I hope you're enjoying the show and uh, I look forward to speaking to you guys soon. I got an invite yesterday from a gorgeous girlfriend called Georgie. Um, I met her in 2017 at um, a Michael Memorial that we um, it was done. She is turning a big number. I won't say it, Georgie, don't worry. But she's invited me to a boat party on Sydney Harbour to watch In Excessive. At her party. How cool is that? So I'm going to oh. have the weekend off next weekend and go down. And I've got to find someone to go with. Oh, you'll have someone. Whereabouts is it? Sydney. In Sydney. Yeah. So okay. if you want to come with me, let me know. 
Okay. <laughs> Should do a ballot. But <laughs> B's writing the name Nick Lorna in the whiteboard behind her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, well, maybe Tim or Kurt might want to come. Well, with me. you never know. You never know. <laughs> All right, B. Well, uh, a couple of other little things. I just want to also, I know it sounds a bit like fan engagement, but it's more of a thank you rather than fan engagement. So I just want to send a big of a thank you out to Mark Opitz, but uh, also more particularly Martin, who's been quite helpful to our podcast in the last two, three, three weeks, B, with uh, a few little metrics and things behind the scenes to help our reach and things. So big shout out to regular listener of the show, Martin. He knows who he is. And uh, he has been very helpful to us. So, yes. uh, and he even gave you a visit the other week, didn't he, B? When you're on your crutches, he did. He came to see me at my friend's house. He did. He's he's keeping me busy, Hayden. Put it that way. I do believe so. I do believe so. <laughs> uh, well, B, it's that time of the week where we'd like to welcome our very valuable patrons on board and anyone who's new. So over to you. No worries. I'm just going to hand over to Nick Egan. Nick, what have you got to say? Hi there, this is Nick Egan, better known by you fans as the designer of the Kick, X and Low Baby Live covers, as well as director of the Searching and Don't Lose Your Head videos. Just under two years ago, I was on vacation driving up the central coast of California with my family and I was looking for something to listen to and I came across a podcast which immediately aroused my attention. It had a quirky but professional style to it. It was conversational. There was a lot of humor. I was immediately taken by it and reached out to both Hayden and B, and offered myself as an interviewee, of which I did, where I talked about the kit cover primarily. And since then, I've appeared on the show on a couple of occasions or a few occasions. And um, I've seen it go from being a relatively localized but popular uh, podcast to becoming a global podcast. So I also wanted to say to you fans out there, if you're not patrons already, please, please sign up, become patrons, because both B and Hayden do this as volunteers. They both have jobs as well as this. They put a lot of dedication into this podcast, a lot of love and a lot of time and effort. And even if you can't afford to become a patron, try and contribute in some way, because we need podcasts like this. We need podcasts that come from the fans, that are true to the fans. We don't want to sit here corporate band podcasts. We want to hear real podcast from real people anyway congratulations Hayden and B well B this is going to be a fun topic today we uh, have got uh, by uh, satellite around the world some very very helpful uh excess patrons who are coming in to argue the case for the great debate that is part one of the NXS career uh 1977 to 86 and why that period uh resonates with them so uh I guess B we've asked them to uh be proud and passionate argue uh strongly uh, what does it mean to you? Uh, so in our topic in a few moments' time, we will look forward to bringing them into the chat room, B. Yes, can't wait. I think we got four in the end, didn't we? We shall introduce them very, very soon, absolutely. And they're all uh, yeah, they're all differing in their in their backgrounds and nationalities, but uh, I have a real love for, uh, uh, well, I guess I love both parts of an excess career, but particularly part one. So yes. looking forward to them coming in. All right, B. what's it time for? It's time for the news. Hi, this is Sarah from Sydney. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas, and now it's time for the news. All right, B. well, I've got some great news. Uh, as I said to you just before we came on, I was just scribbling my notes together, but uh, as of today, the charts have come out in Australia, and the very best of us had a 14-spot leap, B from number 60 to number 46. Yeah. So, 
So it's good to see the album uh, have uh, a triple bypass surgery and get another little <laughs> breath uh, uh, breath out of its lungs and heart. Uh, so, uh, yes, back in the charts. And speaking of albums and things, uh, the Shabu Shabar reissue is coming out uh, in the next seven days. So uh, you will find, I think, on October 28 in your local areas and regions around the world, uh, the reissue of uh, the much-talked-about uh, In Excess Shabu Shabar with the live uh, edition of the Arts Festival uh, will be added in, B. Yes, so it's sold out the clear already, hasn't it, unfortunately? It has. I know a lot of people want yeah. to, to, to get that. But I've heard that there's going to be a blue vinyl coming out, but that's, yeah. being, re- that's being reissued from the American record company. Do you know anything no, about that? No, no, no. You're confused here. I am you're looking, confused. You're looking a little bit ahead. I believe our friend of the program, MM, has uh, mm-hmm. posted something yesterday saying in America, the swing is having a reissue oh. with a blue cut, with a blue sort of clear, so to speak, cover right. uh, or, or vinyl. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, which uh, MM did go on to say it's a bit weird that uh, they're reissuing that around the same week as Shabu Shabar, mm. uh, particularly when it's 38 years. It's not so much a, an, a, an anniversary like a, a 30-year welcome or a 25-year uh, elegantly, elegantly waste or something like that. Mm. Yeah, so... Uh, but look, it'll be a great week for fan collectors and and uh, historians and people wanting to add that extra little thing to your uh, your shelving space. I used to love getting an in excess album. They're just adding it in my sort of uh, mm-hmm. stack of CDs now. Young folks, CDs were these things we had in the '90s and the '80s and the 2000s, where it was like a a cartridge and you had a little sort of square thing and you had a disc. Uh, I know you guys love streaming, but uh, we all love the tactile feel of Music B when you could touch the album, yeah? Yes, absolutely. All right. Uh, well, as we said earlier, we've got John Farris coming on a couple of weeks' time, so uh, stay, tu- stay tuned for that. But uh, uh, also this week, it is one of those other birthday weeks for In Excess where uh, it is 35 years since Kick was released, and I think there must be about 30 to 50 articles that have come out, you know. Mm. Um, there was a good one, I think, in America saying, oh, the album that kicked all its competitors to the curb. Yeah, uh, like and that. I, and I did like that little bit of a slogan. Um, I'm yet to dive deep on them myself, but I will look forward to uh, maybe having a bit of a peruse over the weekend. Um, also in news, uh, a little bit of gig watch. We like to highlight some of the bands out there doing gigs around the uh, the planet and particularly northern Australia up in Early Beach, the sort of the Queensland um, of the cover bands that is uh, the Australian In Excess show. They're going to be playing on November 26th at Early Beach. Now, Early Beach is sort of the um, the hub or the port uh, out to the Whit Sundays, a very beautiful area of Australia, probably the best part of Queensland, B. Uh, and also, too, in, uh, I believe, in uh, Batu or Batau Bay, which I believe in New South Wales there, uh, the Live Baby Live guys, uh, on Remembrance Day, the 11th of the 11th, uh, are playing a gig, which is only a couple of weeks away, B. Awesome, awesome. I've actually been in touch with the um, In Excess UK guys now as well, and they're doing something called the Fake Festivals. Now, a lot of people were a little bit, I saw a few angry faces when I put it through, thinking fake. But what a fake festival means is it's, tribute bands it isn't the actual band like you know the, the band so there yes. i put that up yes. on hutch nation so you can go and see that but hello to ian the drummer wow um hayden i'm going to put you and paul jolie together and we'll have to do a show about in excess drummers um because um fans drumming fans because um this guy knows his stuff and i was like a bit out of yeah. uh, my depth talking to him but yeah. you'll live you're living so <laughs> hi to ian 
Okay. And it's always interesting when you talk about fake there. You were sort of going along the lines of like when I was in Dubai when we would go to one of those, uh, you know, uh, handbag sort of places with your girlfriend or whatever, and the guy would – you would we would say, oh, is it fake? And they would go, yeah, yeah, but it's good fake. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm sure these festivals are. All right, now uh, sometimes we do a little bit of an RIP uh, during our program and a bit of a shout out to the family and the career and uh, RIP to uh, Robbie Coltrane, which I think is a Scottish actor B, uh, but he uh, was a bit of a fan favourite for a lot of you British fans of comedy and drama and over the years, I think he was in a show called Cracker and a cool movie called Let It Ride and um, a whole bunch of things over the journey. I uh, did quite well in America. Um, I think even Nuns on the Run, he might have been in that, B. But, uh, yeah, a bit of a sad does, one. Yeah. Hmm. Very sad, very sad, yes. Um, he was part of, like, the young ones, all of them, like, he was sort of in that gang. So, yeah, he came up and then became the big cuddly giant. R.I.P. to uh, Robbie. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. This is Ella from Middleburgh, the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and Dee. And now it's time for the topic of the week. All right, Dee, topic of the week, the great debate, part one. We want to welcome from around the globe, Paul Jolly, uh, Manny, Genevieve and Jimmy Guest. We're all joining us from all parts of the globe for the great debate, In Excess, 1977 to 86, why that is the superior era Maybe for them or in general. So we're going to go straight to the audience, B. All right, here we go. Well, Mr. Jolly, welcome to Access, Access All Areas again. We thought nobody better to have you on arguing the case for part one of Inexcess's career, 1977 to 86, as he flags his drumstick in my direction. How are you, sir? Mate, I'm good, and also notice the shirt. Ah, it's got a Shavu Shavar shirt on. Absolutely, fly the flag. Now, for our listeners, Paul's been working on a drum part in the last half an hour, so uh, Creative Measures called. We're going around the world and interviewing different people and uh, as to their preferences of the NXS career, and I had a feeling you might associate with the uh, part one of the career. So take it away. Argue your case as to why uh, 77 to 86 sits well with you in terms of preference. Actually, it's really funny. I was trying to decide upon listening to the listening back to the podcast the other day, and I thought, driving home, how would you go about arguing the case? Because there's no right or wrong, obviously. Yeah. Anything in excess is good. And then I thought of it from a from an age point of view. I'm on the wrong side of 50 now. But that also has its benefits that, you know, um, for everyone around the world, you know, I grew up in Sydney, so I, I got to go to in excess playing Shibu Shabar album 
at venues around Sydney. You know, I was very fortunate to see it multiple times. Venues like um, the Horton Pavilion in Sydney, which is, you know, iconic to Sydney siders, not so much to the rest of the world, but to yeah. us it is. Yeah. It's our, it's our festival hall, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think that, did that venue get closed down recently or upgraded or? Well, it's always it's always kind of in the news about being becoming this cultural centre or yeah. that, you know, and it, and then you see, you know, not all or whoever's going to do a concert there. So yeah, yeah, I think they played their last gig there. Thing. Is that right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so for my vintage, it's it's a it's a great venue. Um, it's not the best quality sounding room in the world. It's a bucket list tick. I've been to a concert there, you know. So, but yeah, so back back to the, the wrong side of fifty. Um, I watched Shabu Shabar to it. I watched the Swing to it. I watched Listen Like Thieves to it. Um, I even got to go to to when they did uh, what was it called? Hayden, all the concerts around the world. In excess, did it in, at the Entertainment Center. Can you talk about the Listen Like Thieves here around that time? Around that era, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you know the iconic Queen set yes. over at Wembley. Yes. And there was, that was all part of that around the world. Right, yeah. America did a bit. England did a bit. Oh, sorry. I know what you mean. You've talked about the uh, Live Aid. There it is. Live Aid. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I, yeah. I was, I was uh, standing about 20 metres back from the front row. Right. Uh, d- during Live Aid. So you're yeah. very spoiled from an in excess early era, eventually yeah. getting to my point. So I think when you when you liken it to, to whether it's a TV show or a sporting event, when you're watching a young, untested team, character, whatever, climbing, 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 and you're on that ride with them, you know, yep. uh, again, jumping, jumping back a bit, um, fortunate to walk in after school one day and see the the thing on Simon Townsend's Wonderworld. You know, and I went, oh, that was quirky. Who are those guys, you know? Surely followed by just... Do you, do you subscribe sometimes to people... You know, when they're not quite big and made it overseas or globally, they feel a bit more like your band in that era. You know, they were a bit. You felt closer to them because of, you know, yeah. maybe they hadn't gone as large, and you had a connection based upon um, your awareness and liking of music and just that time in your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I wrote three things down that I wanted to make sure I covered off today. Yep. One was away. Follow, yep. follow, following the climb with them, um, and being lucky enough to be in Sydney for that that initial climb. I know they toured Australia quite a lot and then went overseas. But, yeah, the climb was was really important. Um, getting to see those early albums played live and, and now being a muso, appreciating, appreciating it even more. And the final thing, I, I, again, lucky um, to be at Australian Made at, at, the, at the Sydney venue at Cronulla's Rugby League's home ground. And the last thing, just before Michael went off stage, so they did Good Times, with the all-star cast and Jimmy. Yep. And just, just as the fireworks started going off and all that sort of stuff and, again, up, went up for close to the front, Michael's last or departing words were, see you in a couple of years, Australia. And on the back of uh, one of the top days of my life, you know, um, I sort of stood there almost froze and I went, what? What, I have to share them with the world now? Oh. <laughs> so it was a bittersweet, if you will. Yeah. You know, mega happy for them as the band and the unit and the success. Yes. But I can't I can't go to the local pub or the no. board and pavilion or the entertainment centre and see them for, what, years? Yes. And, and, again, the bittersweet of, you know, very happy for them. Yeah. Just disappointed right. for myself. So let's break it down to some songs and things like that, you know. 
let's look at, say, Shabu Shaba, you know, The Swing, Listen Like Thieves. Uh, is there a little mix of songs off each album or, you know, add in, you know, the first or second album as well? But are there any sort of suite of songs that you connect with? Like, you know, if you're on a desert island and it's a Paul Jolly desert island, you could only take, say, five or six songs there. Would uh, be some of them be of that era and those albums? Absolutely. So I've got um, I've got on my playlist, I've got a top ten ever playlist. Yep. Six of them are in excess songs. Read them um, out. Yeah. So, so starting, I love Stay Young. Yep. Stay Young. So it's it's early. It's one of the earlier tracks I heard. So what I tried to do is pick my favorite in excess albums, and then that, that's like picking your favorite child, of course. So I tried to pick one track that you know I just couldn't live without. Yeah. Uh, so Stay Stay Young come off that. Wishy washy for some yep. reason always strikes it, and that might be the drummer in me that it's got that, you know, that straight <laughs> in, jacka, 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 jacka. It is a percussive in. sound, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and obviously, I'm heavily influenced with it, and it's, and it's subjective. Um, Shabu Shabar is a real problem child to pick one song from. Okay. Um, so, what I did pick off Shabu Shabar was Old World, New World, purely because I just liked the sparseness of it. And I noted, and I don't know if it was a line, but when you interviewed Kirk, and I, my question to him was, uh, what's the best musical advice you'd ever been given? And, and his response was, um, less is more. And if you sit back and do your deep dive, to steal your phrase, um, into Old World, New World, there's a lot of space in that song. Yeah. And, and it's a, as a drummer, it's an absolute hoot of a song to play along to because you've got the, the sparseness of the verses and then you got that little bit of funky pickup in, in the in the bridge into the court. You're going to um, you're going to really like, I think, the John interview we did it uh, three days ago. Yep. And John, sort of, I guess, being the city slicker, Hong Kong, Sydney, now Byron Bay retreat. Yep. Said if there's a song that sums up your life, it's a bit like old world, new world. And he was quite taken back. He goes, you know what? It's really I got goose goosebumps thinking about. It, he was saying because. He, he felt that song sort of reflected his life, old world, now his new world, and yeah. he's very, very proud of that recording. Yeah, absolutely, you know, and I'm a subscriber to the the Johnson's aeroplane, the old world, new world, Jen song, like, and again, not getting too far down the drummer track, but that's a bastard of a song to try and play along to, <laughs> you know. Um, you, you really got to have your, your chops on, on song. Yeah. As, again, the, the, the age thing and being of the, the right vintage, Listening to some of those early beats and bass lines from the band, they weren't your John Mellencamp, they weren't your ZZ Top 12 bar shuffles or, Blues, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really yeah. innovative for their time, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's the hook that got me, wow, who are these guys? I need to know more. Yeah. And as a kid, you start buying the vinyl CDs and the tapes and, and stuff at the time. But um, jumping to the swing, really hard to pick a song. But I, I think Dancing on the Jetty, again, because it's got a bit of an anthemic chorus to it, um, but then it's got the the opposite. The, the verses are quite – he's almost attacking the microphone, and I love that. Yes. And, and the instruments do the same. I was about to say, you, I was about to gesture similarly. It, it is a very – gesture sort of, doesn't help on a podcast, I know. No, no, no. We're sort of raising our hands up and down, but it, it sort of starts <laughs> off quite melancholy, then it goes into this massive percussion bit, and the lyrics are quite sort of prophetic, yet the chorus is quite fun and dancey. It's, it goes everywhere, doesn't it? And, and, and that keeps you keeps your attention, you know, yeah. and, and, of course, there's always a great groove there. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, 
dancing in the jetty, melting the sun. It was a, it really was a 50 50 with those two. Yeah. Um, yeah. and not, not discounting any of the other songs, yeah. you know. Love is, is, is one of my favorite songs, and yeah, so kind of summarizing quickly, I think it was a, a combination of being in my teens, yeah, watching a band on the rise, and and, a, and it was a running joke with my mum, uh, sitting there watching the countdown awards, and they were on. Mum's walked through the room and she's gone, who are these guys? I said, they're going to be the biggest band in the world. And she sort of laughed and scoffed and wandered out. And I think it was about six months after Kick really gained some notoriety and, and you know, was become very mainstream. Yes. Uh, she walked back past me and she said, you were right. <laughs> and I went, well, yeah, yeah, you know. Was, uh, and music, you know, obviously certain sounds release different endorphins in, in different brains. That's and true. And that's why... And that's why someone loves Britney Spears and someone loves Metallica. It's a really good um, point because some a songs still do that to me in a way, and I know many other oh, yeah. our listeners that it, even a song that's been played a thousand times still releases sometimes that little endorphin and that little sense of passion about it. And um, occasionally sometimes with music, as you sort of prophetically sort of said, you know, you had a feeling and a vibe and you probably, they had enough variation, skill and talent going for themselves at an early age for you to identify and go, this cannot be ignored by the greater world, I guess, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I'd come to that realisation about Shabu Shabar time. Yeah. It's the running gag we have about, you know, yeah. Mr. Shabu Shabar. Yeah. Uh, absolutely love that album. Kicking myself quietly. Uh, jumped on the website to order my clear vinyl last night. It's sold out. No way. Is it really? They already? Learn you. <laughs> well, I, I thought it might be, and I think uh, someone was saying, I don't know if it was Matthew Marsland or someone on the platform said, I think that there was one copy per person or something, but maybe they'll issue more, and I'm sure it'll turn up at a. Uh, as long as they so- go to a good home. As yeah, as that's right. Home, I don't mind. Yeah. Now, in terms of sort of that sort of, you know, early era there, it's really interesting you said that you'd been to that gig where it was beamed around the globe there, which was the, uh, I think they played Don't Change and What You Need, I think, for Live Aid, didn't they? That yeah, an original songs went global, I think. But I, I think they played from memory, was I think about six songs, and uh, and there was all the, the television pauses, etc. Yeah. Um, but I think, you're right, I think only two. I think two made it globally in terms of the global feed, but, yeah, they yeah. were our sort of representation from Australia uh, beaming in. Um, to that global sort of, uh, you know, simulcast that um, or broadcast, yeah, you know? Yeah, there's like the, the version of Original Sin that particular evening. Um, yeah. I've been on a bit of an Original Sin binge lately. If you don't mind me asking, what year were you born in? 68. Yeah. So I'm 54 I was going to say now. 68 because I'm thinking, you two know, years. I'm born in 1970, so that two years was significant in terms of like when you're, listen, like these is coming out, you know, you're talking <coughs> 17, you're turning 17 that year, which is sort of probably old enough just to get out to those gigs and and then probably 15, old enough to get to the swing gigs where I was sort of, you know, probably around Shibusha Bar, 11, the swing 13 and listen, yeah. like these, I was 14, you know, so I was just a bit young to get there. So I've always been very envious of um of just your ability to get to some of those gigs at that time. But I think like a lot of people who uh, are going to be on these great debates, be it this era and the next era, music's played such an important uh, lens, doesn't it, or music lens on your age and where you are at a certain time, you know, schooling yeah. and into trade yeah. or work or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think through your teen years you've still got your rose-coloured glasses on to some extent yeah. about the world and, and, and music's a great thing to have in your life. Like I say, I... Can't think of any any other way to describe it. I was just lucky. 
Yep. One to be teen, two to be in Sydney, yeah, um, and three to get out and see those gigs. You know, before big days out and all those sort of festivals, yeah, we had seven bands for seven bucks and the big swing tour at at, at Heathcote Oval. I was there, you know, a whole bunch of those kind of concerts existed before the concept of the yeah. one day festival and that. Um, Australia was already doing it, yeah, um, and and again, lucky. It'll be my theme word for the day to to be around. And, and see some really great acts. Uh, just an interesting one with, uh, you know, Midnight Oil. Like, I guess they took in excess under their wing a little bit and, you know, the band managers sort of helped shape their name. But I guess as the fan base at that time, there was a little bit of rivalry, wasn't there, between Midnight Oil and NXS? Did oh, you feel that growing up? Ab- absolutely. Oh, yeah. Just what you were talking, I was thinking back to high school years and, and how I used to cop a bit of crap for wearing the Inks shirt. Yeah. And, and you know, I had all the Swing Era shirts and the Shabu Shabar shirts and the Listen Like Thieves. Yeah. Ones. And, you know, the copping crap off the teachers, you know, what's that yeah. even say, you know, et yeah. cetera. But I remember the, there was the boys, and I grew up in Sydney Southwest, so it was, you know, um, no big pardons. Yes. And, uh, and the Midnight All Boys were always thought they were very staunch and, if you grew up in Australia and there's sort of out in the burbs and some of these areas, you had to either be a Holden or Ford man. You had to be an inaccessible midnight oil. Um, you had to pick and choose and you had to defend your defend your position and whatever there. I guess over time you can end up liking both, which is what happened to me. You know, um, but you sort of had to pick one or the other. It was the way it was. It was sort of, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the challenge. Yeah, you couldn't be uh, – a double, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're very true. Um, you, it was almost like you said, picking your brand. Uh, I was one of those odd guys that, you know, I had Midnight Oil shirts and I had Inexus shirts and I had Angel shirts and, yeah. you know, whoever else was around in the day, you know, Spy yeah. vs. Spy, which were a fantastic underrated band. You know, that that era. And, again, the 80s were great for live music. Um, you could go out any night of the week and see a live band. Uh, the downside is I'm on the wrong side of 50 now, but yeah. I think, you know, that's a fair price that I've paid. No, um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I had a gig cancelled tonight. I did a bit of recording earlier um, and I was supposed to be playing at a, a smaller festival tonight and because of the weather it was an outdoor event and it's been called off. So I jumped on Facebook, you know, looking around at all my museum mates, who's playing and I, who can I go and see? And there's not that much out there, you know. So yeah. that's disappointing, you know. Back yeah. back in the day you were small for – there were 10 bands playing within – well, we need we need to get the young folk off the computers and and uh, off off um, uh, sort of pro tools and pick up a guitar and something organic, you know, and create something from uh, yeah. the purest way of uh, of doing it, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Probably jump to to listen like thieves. It was such a different sound to the swing. Yeah, um, the swing was very keyboard, and then listen like thieves brought back the guitar. Yeah, as a tougher it's, sound. Yeah, yeah. So I, I call it the guitar album, uh, you know, and, and the swing being the keyboard album. And, and I look at Shabu Shabar as the first game in first grade. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything else to them was a build. And then when you heard the quality of not only the, the musicianship, the production and the sound, even the, 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 the shape of the writing, to me, it just sort of jumped up. Yeah. And I, I remember, again, going and buying the, the album from the record store and, coming home and whacking it on mum and dad's marine system and just sitting back up. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a long way from wishy-washy and on a bus. Yeah, and I think the Live Lo- the, the Listen Like Thieves album, sort of uh, for those fans pre-kick and in this particular era that people like yourself are arguing for, was that extension to the live sound. They'd probably had a lot of live concerts under their belt, even the cover with the NXS logo and uh, and the guitar sound and then a lot of the big outdoor film clips, you know, out in Cooperpedia and, yeah. and Three Sister yeah. Songs had a very Australian outdoor type feel to it and big guitars, no compromises and big hooks, you know, which... And, and still that our bend, our bend still applied, you know. Correct. Uh, Correct. Before the global, before the global sound, and I had to share them with the rest of the world. <laughs> Well, Paul, we're going to thank you for coming on today. Obviously, we've got a pretty good uh, gist of where you sit. Um, and I, I guess, as you said at the start, it's, it's not a right from wrong. It's just one's own personal taste and things. Um, I know for, for myself, you know, one of the great things that I know people have often done is whatever mood you're in, you, there is sort of an album for your mood, isn't there, sometimes? So Absolutely. it's good to go back. Sometimes it's good to go in the, the later era and, and people can choose depending on mood. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you said on an earlier episode um, – you described the, the the fans, you know, some that were there early and then sort of got to that age and got married, mortgage kids. Yeah. That's me. Yep. And now I'm spending a lot of time revisiting the later albums yeah. and learning to appreciate them even more. Yeah. Um, still will sit on my side of the fence of, you know, yeah. my teenage years, but I think that's highly influenced by the age. I was saying to a mate the other day, you know, who was like, oh, you know, he was talking about some other band, oh, you know, and this is classic phrase, I think it's the name of a regurgitator song uh, as well. It's like, I like their old stuff better than their new stuff. You know that song? <laughs> yes, Which is yeah. a great line. But it's a great the way line. a lot of people do that is obviously because, one, they only know the older stuff more than the newer stuff based on the fact that they were more into it at a certain time. People do get married, have kids, go to less concerts, life changes or whatever. Mm. It takes a lot of work to actually follow a band for two generations, that is, you know, say a 15-year period because it's in the way and it takes a little bit of difficulty sort of focusing in for such a period of time. I mean, people love the Beatles, but the Beatles were around for a quarter of in excess's time. They ran for, you know, seven years in terms yeah. of recording, 63 yeah. to 70. So so they had so much content within a small period, but, uh, um, you know, the duration of focusing on a period for a band, uh, for those bands who survived more than a decade or whatever, it does take effort for the fans to hang in there and commit to everything, you know? Yeah, absolutely right. Well, I'm joined today by Manny and Genevieve and Jimmy. So, hi, guys. Hello. 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 All right. So, we're here to talk about the 1977-1986 era of In Excess and their career in between those periods. So, I think we'll start with you, Manny, because we started talking about this, what, last week straight away and you said, oh, give me that. I want to come on. So, uh, here you are. The floor is yours. I guess to start off with, in terms of what that era means to me, um, it's a funny one because I wasn't there for most of it. I was, I was, I was born in 1979. Obviously, in excess, only kind of hit the UK in a really big way, kind of 86, 87. You know, listen like thieves a little bit, and then obviously kick exploded. So I came into NXS quite late on, you know, in in their terms. You know, I kind of started in about 87, 88. But what makes this era special for me was come kind of about 89, 90, I was kind of about 10 or 11. You know, so I'm kind of expanding my musical tastes a little bit. I'm into chart music as well. Uh, I'm into the same music as my friends at school were. But I was into more than that. In Excess were kind of my band when I was growing up. 
and no one else's of my age. They, they were kind of my thing, my kind of secret thing, if you like. So yeah. I used to get, you know, I used to go to school and all my kind of friends were coming in, you know, let's say it's 1990, you know, they're coming in talking about, you know, MC Hammer and they're talking <laughs> about Vanilla Ice and they're talking about, they're talking about turtle power and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I liked a little bit of that, you know, but I was kind of going home and putting on, you know, I was listening to newsreel babies. So <laughs> you, how did you, know. you get exposed to it in the first place? Well, my, my brother was an NXS fan. Oh. And I think the he I think the first in excess thing I ever had was a was a was a tape that he made for me and it was kick. It was literally just kick on one side mm-hmm. with a lot of stuff on the on the on the other side. So kick was my gateway in, into it. And then, you know, I've been into music since I was about four years old. You know, I, I, the first album I had, like many people my age, was the now that's what I call music compilation in nineteen eighty three. That's right. Yes. And that was my that, that was my big gateway into music in general. I've I've not stopped you know looking and buying it, you know, in the last four years. So I always had that kind of collector streak in me. Um so immediately I was like, right, this is a great band. I'm gonna go out now and buy everything that they've ever done. And yeah, so I'm you know so I'm now listening in my bedroom to, you know, in excess the first album. I'm listening to Underneath the Colours and Shibushi Bar and the Swing and Listen Like Thieves. And no one else was my age. You know, I remember having an argument with somebody because they thought In Excess were a new band. And I said, no, they've been going since 1980. You know, and they were like, no, they haven't. And I was like, oh my God, you know, this is really frustrating. But in the, I quite liked it because they were, my, they were, I thought they were my band. You know, no one else was listening to this kind of stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really meant something special to me. I'd go home and listen to, you know, all this stuff and it really resonated with me. Um, and it felt that they felt like my band. And did you realise they were from Australia, being she was so young yeah. at that point? Oh, you did know straight away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know... And that makes it even more exotic, doesn't it? Though, in that I they're so. like, I you think, know, not English so. and, yeah. Mm. I think at the time as well, I mean, I remember being a big fan of Neighbours when I was about eight years uh. old. So <laughs> Australia was, I mean, maybe, maybe there was a link, maybe there was some kind of subconscious link to, you know, going from Neighbours to excess. who knows? But yeah, I was pretty. I was, I was pretty aware of where they were from, and what they were about, and obviously, um, yeah, that continued into to now. You know, I've never, never since I got that cassette from my brother. It's it's never stopped. Okay, all right. Well, we'll come back to you. That's all right. We'll speak to yeah. Genevieve next. Now, Genevieve, where are you at the moment? Because you're always popping off everywhere. Oh, in Amsterdam. Hey. <laughs> so, where were you when you uh, got involved in listening to In Excess? was in my living room <laughs> I was in Montreal uh, and I was just like I, I listened a lot to like was um, Music Plus uh, where I was um, it was like M- MTV sort of I had been watching MTV for like a full year I knew all the bands and everything and uh, and I remember just seeing this Need You Tonight video and it was so fresh and so new and so just I, I of course, Michael was very good looking, he had this gorgeous smile. I was only 11. I was pre-puberty, but I just thought he had a gorgeous smile. But basically, I just loved like the visuals and the, the, the music. It's just, yeah, it was fresh. It was new. So I really liked it. And my, my mother really liked Like She thought he was kind of cute. And <laughs> my sister had a boyfriend who looked like Michael Hutchins. And we were like, oh, you look like this guy from this 
video anyways uh, and then new sensation came on and it was just a nice song i remember was playing on a field trip i did as a child in a bus and i was so excited the whole bus got crazy with this song it was so high energy but the real like um i got moonstruck basically when uh never tear us apart came oh, on yeah it was just a beautiful ballad so beautiful. And again i mm-hmm. yeah I, I just loved the style you know like it mm-hmm. was it was romantic uh, michael had sometimes very rough um uh, vocals the the lyrics were super poetic this whiny saxophone uh, solo in the middle and this gorgeous video everything mm. was just like a complete like i fell in love right away and then i just wanted to know more about the band and i I like many. I started buying all the old albums as well, and I think the first I decided to go for the first one. You know, like this in excess thing without any pictures, just this painting. And then I came back home and I listened to it, and I was like, "Oh no, there's a mistake. There's two bands called In Excess, <laughs> and this is not like I was like, this is not. I'm going to return my desk. It's a mistake." <laughs> and then, and then, of course, by the time I, I could go again to the shopping mall and return the disc, I had listened to the disc enough, uh, or the, the tape, the, the album, often enough to realize, to start recognizing, oh, no, it's the same. I recognize the vocals. It's the same voice. And I just fell in love with the fact that a, a band could have, I mean, you see, you're in my studio. I've got all my wigs. I love like being able to reinvent yourself yes. and be able to move from one style to the other and evolving. And this is something that I really like. Every time I got an album from Inexus, it was always a different mood. What's, and well, yeah, it's like a big surprise, isn't it? What were they going to yeah, come exactly. up with next? Yeah. 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 I, I just enjoy that. And, and yeah, so I'm definitely more of a fan of this um, era than, than the one after. And I'm not sure if, we're starting to debate now or we're just right now exposing oh, we're just the- we're just yeah. getting the basis but we'll come back to the debate but in that's a moment pretty much it but that's me. pretty that's- good to see where you came from Let's talk about the albums. Yes. Which album did you buy first? I think, well, I think my brother, um, again, I think he recorded, I think he had them on, it was on cassette at the time, it was on cassette. And I think he recorded a few for me. Um, but I wasn't the sort of person to kind of just have the, you know, the, the, the copied cassette, I had to go and buy them. And I think In Excess, I think it was the first one I bought. I think it was the first album that I bought um, by In Excess. Um, oh, wow. Completely, yeah. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The first time I heard it, I mean, I was I was aware, of, I was kind of aware of their history, so I, and I knew that this was going to be a little bit different to, to what what Kick was, for example. But I loved it. I thought it was a great album, and I, I think if we, I guess if we kind of start with the the first two albums, which I kind of I always see them as a bit of a pair. They were kind of a bit of a pair. The first two yeah, albums, yeah, I agree. You know, they're kind of, obviously, they both had the deluxe, weren't they? Mm. And they were both the kind of starter albums for them. The, um, but as a pair, they're flawed. They're great kind of new wave um, ska punk albums, you know. Yeah. But they sound very different to other bands of of of, the, of their era. You can see and they've got a little something else, or they were trying out all their different things, weren't they? All their different music. Yeah, de- definitely. The guitars think, weren't really forefront at this point, were they? Well, I think no, but I think if if you kind of di- if you kind of dig deep into the albums, you know, there's there's so much gold there. 
And I think the first time you have it, Genevieve, you mentioned it before, that the first time you hear it, you're going to go, what's this? Um, you know, this doesn't sound like, you know, you know, key, a new sensation. But once you dig deep, you kind of realise that it's it's all there, but in kind of in, in, very much in its infancy. So there were tracks like Learn to Smile from, oh. the, from the first album, which oh, is you know, it's five minutes long. You know, it's a complete track. And I always say that if you listen to Learn to Smile, that it's the, the, the last minutes of that song. For me, it's like a kind of a proto-devil inside. Yeah. Because it kind of builds up and then you've got those kind of like, the, the kind of keyboards in the background mm-hmm. that, that builds that crescendo. It's just like a kind of a, a very kind of, you know, junior version of Devil Inside for me is Learn to Smile. Yeah. Um, and obviously if you go to the second album, you know, you've, you've got tracks like Horizons, which is, quite ambient as well you know you've got you know with Andrew's kind of you know kind of quite hooky um, piano solo underneath the colours itself which is again it's like a, it's like a Judy version of you tonight with all that space in it as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then other tracks like Fair Weather Ahead just to learn again you know they're you know they're, they're, they're songs with this kind of there's this kind of ambience in it you know far removed from the kind of the pub rock that they would have started off playing you know from 1977 so they are they are very junior albums, but as you said, that they've got something in them, you know, where where it, there's all these pointers to the future. If you if you listen closely enough, yeah. um, I, I can talk more about the rest of the, the other albums, but I'll I'll let the other guys talk about the early ones first. Jimmy, are you there? We we jumped you because I don't know where you went. Um, do you, do you, <laughs> we jumped over you. <laughs> so do you want to do you want to come in where in excess started for you? Yeah, sure. Uh, for me, uh, literally Live Aid. Oh, so I'm watching Live Aid with my mum, and at that time I would have been seventeen, mm-hmm. and yeah, they just blew me away. Uh, it was one of those standout moments in your life really that something hits you with quite a, a deep emotion and a deep impact and I was hooked from that point on um, so after Live Aid I went searching for what I could and um, managed to get myself uh, listen like thieves and played it to death really and then the next thing I discovered after that was Living in Excess that that performance The Rock in the Royals that whole video was just brilliant you know that just that sealed the deal even more if i'm honest with you um seeing the performance from michael and the the charisma um the way the band was so tight and it was just effortless from them really and it was just brilliant it just blew me away and at that time they were touring the uk uh sometime around there i think closest they came to me would have been Nottingham Rock City but nobody else bought into it when I did um so that was 86 so yes we're talking 85 into 86 so you you came in at the same time as me uh, really because I I remember watching them on um Live Aid after I'd been to see them because when was Live Aid 85 but what month was it in do you remember July. July Yeah, so I saw them in the May, and then boom, they're on 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 live and I'm like, my God, they're bigger than I even thought. I thought they were like my my little special band. It's funny because you're from Birmingham as well. Yeah. We were probably both, uh, you know, destined yeah. to see them together. 
I felt really isolated as a fan. I didn't really, I didn't really know anybody else that had picked up on them at Live Aid, and I certainly didn't know anybody in my friendship circle that mm. was into them. Um, and so they, they tended to go. And to be fair, at that time, I was heavily into um, rock music. To be honest with you, with the the hair metal oh. bands that were coming out around that time, and then in excess, were just a, a throwback to some of my my association as a fan for the likes of Duran Duran and others out yeah. of the new wave. So it's all coalescing into being yeah. one thing with them. So yeah, listen like thieves and living in excess just um, were the main start point for me. And the, the video for kiss the dirt, I always used to get goosebumps for it when it used to go to the, the break towards the end, real bizarre sensation that was to get that sort of endorphin rush into your cheeks. And it's, that was the first experience music had ever sort of hit me like that. So that's where it started really. Um, and then before I got into anything older than Listen Like Thieves, Kick came along. We didn't have MTV in the UK, obviously. And we had things like a, a video show called The Chart Show, which showed video for an hour on a Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. And they really championed in excess, but things weren't sticking. I think it was Need You Tonight that they played repeatedly over months and months, and it wasn't doing anything in the charts. And then for some reason, it just clicked at some point. And then everything took off from there regarding that album. And I think it's pretty, pretty clear where things went stratospheric. Well, they were on the tube, don't forget, as well. That was pretty big. Yeah, yeah. And, but like I say, that they, they, they hadn't got any real chart success at that time. It, it, was, it was very under the radar. What you need was the first ever video shown on the chart yeah. show. Yeah. Oh, really? Was In it? Went, yeah, mm. it went on for about 12 years, the chart show. And what you need was the first ever video shown in full. I did not know it. that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I don't know who involved with the chart show but they were really into in excess at that time they, they were really they really championed them quite heavily so, so yeah that's where I started and then obviously as things progressed with, with I won't talk too much about Kick but from Kick it was a case of well let's go back into the history and that's where I went back to the swing and then Shpishpah and I know what the guys were just saying a few minutes ago, but I really didn't have any interest at all in the first two albums. I think maybe that's an age thing for me, to be honest with you, in that I, music has, and, and styles have moved on. So I was into, so obviously the new wave thing for me would have been yeah. quite dated. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was anything that had more of a, a more polished and uh, luxurious sound like you would get from the production mm. of Shabu Shabar and even the swing probably hasn't held up sonically as well um, with the type of drum effects. And mm. that, that's affected a lot of bands from that era, but the songs mm. were, were just more mature and that they, they, they resonated a bit more. So they, they, were the, they were the sort of things I'd go into Birmingham city center and pick up um, from Reddington Rare Records that I don't know if you remember that part. Reddington Rare oh, Records. Oh my goodness. Yes, I do. That's yes, where I got I those albums from. Um, oh, and then mate, it wasn't you should until... have been my best friend, honestly. I think we went through the same <laughs> eras. So if, yeah, um, Kick, um, sorry, um, Listen Like Foods was my first album. Then I went Kick and then I went back to Swing. Mm. I didn't even know about the first two albums until I started the um, show, really. And that's been well, I, wonderful. I didn't get into yeah. the first two albums properly till after a long time. So I think when they, there was the deluxe reissue, and when they included some covers done by the band of their own stuff. So they they, they did some of those older songs um, 
with a, a bit more of a, a newer production. I think Mark Opitz did that that session. Um, but going back to those tracks then, so that that was probably 2002. My appreciation for those skyrocketed, really. I got into the, the first two albums more then. Maybe it was something to do with the production. Maybe it's more of a case of uh, time had gone on. We'd lost Michael. Things were a bit uncertain around what the band future was. And so that was where I got back into those first two albums. But for me, the Shabu Shabar, the Swing, and Listen Like Thieves are a, a, a trio of albums in one way. And then you've got kick and then yeah. that moves into um x as a as a sort of two two for one sort of deal really but yeah the, and the first hairstyle i really copied of the band wasn't michael's it was john's so when in, when he had his oh. longish curly hair and it was shaved at both sides that was the i i got my hair <laughs> I was permed quite a lot back then, um, but I came home and shaved <laughs> my the side of my head. Wasn't the Kevin Keegan look? It was well, the it, John. It was Farris more of a look. mohawk, wasn't it? It was like a it was a curly mohawk. So I <laughs> yeah. came home and, and shaved the sides of my head to match that. And so that's that's to say that's where I got into it. So the the living in excess and uh, listen like thieves were the jump point for me. to Genevieve and we were talking about um, the albums which which album out of those six are the ones that you would um, pick up I suppose and listen to more so which ones are you championing for Oof, it would be a hard pick for me between um, The Swing and Shubu Shuba yeah yeah really but I mean I, yeah yeah I mean I still love you know like I the, the first one as well, like songs like News Real Babies for me, like the, the sound. And this was like, it almost felt at that time I was playing a Mega Man, which was a video game. And it sounded almost like the soundtrack of Mega Man. It was just like, um, anyway, it was really con- fantastic. And uh, In Vain also on the first album is very uh, whiny. I don't know. There's, it's, 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 it must be super nice to sing this song. Um, but yeah, I think I like Shabu Shuba and, and The Swing most because um, I think there's a little bit of a mystery attached to them. I mean, or a little more of an ambiance maybe, like definitely The Swing. Like I remember when you and Hayden made the, the review, you said it was like Japanese a little bit, but I kind of like that. And yeah. the visuals also with it, you know, like um, even like that melting in the sun, this weird video where Michael is being like, uh, uh, stalked in the metro or something and then you've got like the lollipop and uh, uh, of, of, of um, original sin sort of like the, the the fair you know it's just just love and the, the monastery for me the visuals are always super important because they kind of create like a, a universe mm. right um and they yeah, had a little bit more of an arty feel, didn't they? Those older um, videos, and compared to their, how yeah, I say, it, a bit more boy band looking as they did for the X yeah, album. That's mm. why I'm on this segment, you know, that I really like. There's something a little bit more. Um, the quirky side. Arty, of them. I guess. Arty. Or just like, yeah, more mm. experimental, a little bit. 
So, Genevieve, you were only a child when like, you first um, found out about In Excess, but did you ever go to a concert? Yeah, I did when I was 14. So that would have been their ex tour. Oh, cool. And I didn't like it. You didn't like it? No, no. Oh, why? I was disappointed. Why? I think, you know, I, I and, and I don't know if we want to go there yet or maybe later. I don't know if maybe Jim wants to talk. Oh, he did talk about albums. I don't know, because it's. I'm going to get more into like the okay. my real opinion about, about the right. band now. Okay. Should we so, open the gate? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, albums, I think we did touch on it a little bit there. So um, which one was your favorite, did you say? It's difficult, really, because the swing with Melting in the Sun and Love is What I especially Love is What I Say, are in my probably top 10 of their entire catalogue. Love is What I Say is, is just mm. completely different from almost everything they've done on that album, I think. There's lots of, as it's mentioned, going into sort of um, a Japanese sort of feel with things, but... I think it, 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 it does a lot more to it than that. Things like Johnson's Airplane, nothing like anything they've ever done before or since, I don't think. Um, but yeah, Mountain Sun, Burn For You, Love Is What I Say, Johnson's Airplane, they, they, you know, they're, they're all great songs. Shibu Shibar, again, you know, it, it's, it's difficult because there's on every album, there's five that you think I couldn't live without, you know, um, obviously, mm all the songs have got different meaning you have a different attachment to them but it's difficult to sort of pinpoint one that I play more than the other really because I, I tend to be lazy and shuffle a lot uh, that's the luxury of Spotify um, so that I can just let a playlist run and run you know I don't need to focus on one album but yeah I probably if I'm honest the swing which is bizarre really seeing what my starting point was but that's why I probably like living in excess video more because that's where you saw all those earlier songs played in like a greatest hits fashion in a live setting as well. Well, some of the songs, the nuances that come out in how they played live that you don't necessarily hear in album production of her bootlegs around that period and, and some of the guitar play in Love Is What I Say is, is it comes to the fore a lot more some of what Tim does. It's, it's more obvious um, and it makes a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there, there's a lot of things there. So I'll, I'll listen to things from that area. And as I say, I'll probably dip into bootlegs to listen to some of the nuances in those songs. It's interesting to hear what Genevieve is. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear what she's got to say about her experience. We've seen them on the X tour, but that's probably a different conversation entirely because I, I didn't enjoy probably the X concerts as much as I enjoyed the concerts either side. your first concert which I saw them on the uh, kick tour call on nation tour okay. so I saw them two nights in a row at Birmingham NEC mm -hmm. um, first night I went with my best friend and that was my first experience of girl going crazy at a concert it was it was very well there was lots of jar right um, but it was yeah it was a great night and then the next day <clears throat> I took my mother 
because she'd gotten into the band around the same time as I did. So we'd, we both were watching on Live Aid together and she liked them. And then she was really into Kick when that came out. And through osmosis as well, she'd heard what I was playing from Missing Like Thieves and things. So she'd expressed the interest and I said, well, I'll take you to the concert as well. And we went two nights in a row. Oh, you're a good son. That's lovely. That's really nice. About you, Manny, what was your first concert? Or did you did you get to see them? Yeah, no, but not until much later on. It was, I saw them twice with JD. Um, 2005 and 2006, I think, in London, Shepherd's Bush and Manchester Apollo, I think it was. Um, so, yeah, much, much later on. Um, and one of my, you know, well, not regrets as such, I was only young. Um, is that I didn't see them, obviously, with Michael. Mm. Mm. I say well, it was great. I mean, the thing is, the, the, the thing is, you know, five of the six members were on stage, you know, so yeah. to watch In Excess, the band play yeah. was something I never thought I would get to see. You know, I think after Michael died, as Jim mentioned before, you know, the band was in that kind of limbo for a long time when you thought you'd, you'd never see them again. So to mm-hmm. see the guys on stage, you know, with JD on vocals was absolutely fantastic. You know, it was yeah. kind of, you know, you know, it playing was playing those old songs for you. Playing, playing the songs. Yeah. So yeah, they were fabulous concerts. Um, yeah. Really, really good. Okay, well let's let's um, wrap this up then with these um, paragraphs each of why you think 1977 to 1986 is the era of in excess that sticks. Go, Jimmy. Oh, you would put it on me first. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fearlessness, it's the experimentation, and it's the fact that the band knew what they wanted to achieve and we're all on the same page. As we all get older, we we have different priorities in life. We build relationships and families and sometimes we get distracted by the real life. But at that period in time, all of the guys were driven in one direction, really, for want of a, a crap band name to mention. But, yeah, they, they were... They were on their game big style then, and you've only got to go back and look at the performances and the evolution. It's just fun to see what they started from with the first two albums and what they became. It's night and day if you look at the first album and then kick if you encompass all this under that one umbrella. You can't imagine a band evolving like that too much these days. We're talking a period of the first 10 years, um, they never looked the same twice, really, fashion-wise throughout each of those albums. Um, and the video, in the introduction of video, um, they were on they were on board with things early there, and they took that to another level. So it's it's where everything sort of coalesced, and everything that came after, as much as I love, um, this is where it all began for me. And I, I guess everyone will feel differently because it'll be when the first thing that resonated with them hit most. But unfortunately, as much as I do love the, the, the second 10 years, this is the one that I think sort of pips, pips it by the post. Well said. Okay. Genevieve. So do you want to tell us about this X concert first and then go into your uh, your ending? Well, it, it ties a little bit because the reason why I like this period or this era better is uh, compared a little bit either to the four seasons, you know, and or to like a, a relationship and it's kind of you're in this 
spring and then just before the climax and it's just like hope is high and and uh, yeah it's like the courtship and the preliminaries and you're just like super excited and aspiring for this big climax which came with kick and so it's just that yeah that energy and that kind of yeah the hope right and um, mm, but it's a climb to the climax <laughs> yeah exactly and and i think for me what's and i love the max q album um you know and i feel there's been like psychologically like a, a seat like um uh i don't know like or energetically like after kick and after this uh, max q and and everything that happened i find that after that it felt very much played like like they had to put, especially i felt like michael had to put on the suit of yeah. the front man again mm. and i could not move away i felt it i just felt it was just like and i'm not saying that they didn't do any good stuff musically afterwards but it did not have i it's a similar to what jim said a little bit where everybody was on board on the same page just wanting this success and after that to me it just started feeling a little bit more commercial more um you know like it did not have this um yeah and 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 i, I yes. feel it i feel i feel the the the, the pain the resent the resentment the, the like oh i've got to play that character again i i, I felt it and that's how, that's what i felt also at the concert i just you know I, it was too big too perfect i wanted more rawness i wanted more and i'm i'm sure i would have loved to see their concerts afterward you know when they big, went back to smaller rooms and i'm seeing some also like um concert they did uh, later like um on tv like, that was simply recorded and i can appreciate like the musicality and their talent as musicians but yeah it was just too commercial for me for that yeah I, I totally agree there's nothing like going into a, a small uh, venue and feeling the sweat from the uh, the band and really like looking them in the eyes and just being with them and and really enjoying the music whereas at the NEC and Jim you'd understand that it was just like rows and rows and rows back and it's just like it just felt too big and even Andrew said that it just went it was just too big it was too many people it was just the machine you couldn't stop because there were too many people involved sorry when when you read also how like um, how the album like for instance uh, Welcome to Wherever You Are how it was recorded also you feel this engagement you know like apparently Michael wouldn't show up or sometimes he'd show up and then it'd blurb a few lyrics here and there and Mm -hmm. same thing the story behind the recording of uh, of, um, um, uh, Full Moon Dirty Hearts also has a lot of heaviness, you know, and it feels like X was also like, okay, let's try to make something as great as we did before. Well, before it just seemed so much more free and young men that didn't have the responsibilities of um, wives and girlfriends as much and babies and the fun element felt like it had been out of it. It was work. Matching their prior success, which is a huge pressure on mm, the band. Mm, mm. I think, I think it, it's difficult when you reach that, that peak, you become, mm. you become um, a commodity more. Yeah. So people can see what, what you financially returned previously and want to see that happen again. And sometimes also you see that coming, you think, I don't want this to stop. And Maybe you sell your soul a little to keep that machine and those wheels turning. But there are people that are hangers on as well. And 
giving bad advice and they're also trying to work, work their way into what was a team essentially mm. um but yeah for me the x tour i didn't go to uh wembley i only saw them at the nec on that tour when i saw them during the kick period it was it, there was a desire to blow you away and then when it came to the x tour it's like we we know we can blow you away mm. and there was a i felt it was a little bit of coasting i didn't feel that there was i mean it doesn't it doesn't appear that way on the Wembley show, but it certainly felt at the NEC in 90 that it was like, we're at the top and, you know, we're, we're, we're having fun, but they weren't trying to, they weren't trying to sell, sell me the, the songs or the album. And it was very much, I felt a disconnect during that period. Yeah. And I did get it back when they did the, um, get out of the house tour and, and mm. things like that. Yeah. Um, but well, that's yeah, because it, they'd it, burst it, their own bubble at that point, hadn't they? In a way, they, they went back to the smaller venues and the rawness. Yeah, seen them, I mean, seeing them at Aston Villa Leisure Centre was always going to be different anyway because that wasn't really a concert venue and it was also small. Mm. It was like your experience for the list, Listen Like Thieves period that they went back to something where you were you you were in touch. Well, oh, that's a like us. When I did see them, I'd, I'd got quite close to front of me, but it felt like everybody was in touching distance, and it just felt it felt like um, uh, a sort of man, a manic experience. That this is a band of this size, and there's only so few of us in here. This is this is really special. Mm. Um, and I did, like I said, I didn't get that for the X tour. So it's interesting what what Genevieve says in that because I think there was a, a little bit of we're at the top and oh, we're looking down on you. <laughs> no, no, that's a bit harsh, but it, it felt a little bit like that. To mm. me, it feels a little bit like when a, a person know they're beautiful or when they don't yeah. know they're beautiful. It's just like before, it seems like they didn't know how mm. awesome they were. And then after that, it became just a little bit like it was much more integrated in their persona and and i'm not saying that they were necessarily uh complacent in it but it, it was i could see they were fighting there was something they had to fight now just the, the, the heaviness of the success mm. bearing on their yeah shoulders. that's an excellent analogy i think okay manny what have you got anything to say on that yeah yeah so i think i agree with what um jimmy you said earlier about the kind of the three albums Shabu, Swing, and Listen Like These being kind of a trilogy, if you like. You know, you kind of look at those three kind of as a as a, as a group. I think what makes In Excess stand out from that period is the fact that they're kind of uncategorizable apart from they're just In Excess. So if you look at those three albums, there, there's so much going on in those albums. You know, they're, they're absorbing so much, so many different musical styles. Um, you know, they've got new wave in there. Look at this other one thing and to look at you. You've got a bit of world music in there as well, old world, new world. You know, you've then got funk, original sin comes in. Um, what else have you got? Obviously, you've got kind of some, some of the more kind of Eastern um, style music in there. You've got, you know, big heavy rock tracks. You've got you've got synth pop, you've got electro rock as well, melting in the sun, I send a message, that kind of stuff. So it's this huge blend of music. You know, everything, everything is in there. Mm. Um, and you can't categorize in excess. If you, if you kind of say they're a rock band, well, more than that, they're, they're a funk rock band, well, they're more than that. So they're just, they're just in excess. So by creating this sound all, all for themselves, if you like, 
they could only do that in this era. It was a blueprint for everything else that was to come. I think one of the the, the biggest thing, the most important thing that they did in that era, it was none of the three albums that we just talked about. It was it was the two Decadence compilations. Oh, yes. They were hugely, hugely important for InXS because although the extended remix, the 12-inch mix, wasn't a new thing in kind of 82, 83, 84, not many bands who had, if any, who had kind of rock music at their core, if you like, produced whole mini albums and albums dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. You've got bands like, you know, the UK, we had the Human League, we had Soft Cell, and they were releasing remix albums, but they were synth pop. They were, they were, they were, they were synth pop groups, which lent itself to the remix a lot easier than, than a band like In Excess. So In Excess embraced the dance remix yeah. very, very, very early on, much earlier than some of their peers. And I think by, I think what they did was really, really clever because they did it twice. Not only did they um, put two remix albums out, but they called it Decadance. And I think that was a really, really important statement to make by putting dance right at the forefront of their music. Mm, mm. You know, this is Decade Dance. And it was a, it was a message to everybody to say, we're not just a rock band, we're a dance band as well. Yeah. You know, okay. we have a rock yeah. band and we have a dance band. So what they did was really, really clever. Obviously then, I think the culmination of that for that period was what you need. All those styles blended into one kind of behemoth of a track that was just, you know, went went huge worldwide. Um, and then obviously Kick came afterwards. But, you know, with 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 without that without them embracing that kind of dance culture and all these different styles, we wouldn't have Kick, we wouldn't have X, we wouldn't have everything else in the future. So this that's why this era is really, really important. And they were trendsetters, they were doing things before anyone else. Here, here. Well done, everybody. I love it. I don't. I think I know who my favourite is out of all of you, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much for coming on. Now, Manny, you've got um, a blog that you do, don't you? What's that all about? You tell the listeners. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. So I've got I've got a um, an in excess A to Z blog. It's a great which- blog. Oh, thanks, Jimmy. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've I've completed it in terms of in excess. I can't remember. There's nearly two hundred tracks there. I think so. Every we talked about every single track. You know what our opinions of it are and the history behind it, where we can. And I've just made a start on on the Michael Hutchins solo stuff, oh, which cool. I need to crack on with. To be quite honest, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really good fun doing it because you know there's nowhere else online that delves into. Their, their entire history, um, which is something else, you know, it's worth mentioning that again. If you, if you look at the NXS B-sides from this period, mm. you know, 80s, well, from 80s to 87, 86, there's so much, there's so much stuff there which other people weren't doing. You know, some really experimental stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Phantom of the Opera, for example, <laughs> and, you know, and Prehistory, all this kind of really kind of weird experimental B-side stuff where the, where the band were doing their own thing. You know, you know, it's very rare for a band to have such an, an eclectic um, discography. So yeah, that's what the, that's what this site tends to do, likes to do. It's just look at every single track and and compile it and, and let the world know that there's more to an excess than, than just the hits. Well, thank you for doing that. We'll pop the link into the um, the description of this episode. So if anybody wants to go on to um, have a look at the A to Z of In Excess, it'll be there. 
Oh, brilliant. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, Genevieve, you would have done the episode promo this week. So thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> and Jimmy, just thank you for being Jimmy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody. Cheers. Thanks. Bye bye. Nice catching up, everyone. Look after yourself. See you soon. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. And this is Manny from the UK. This is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. And this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. And that's a wrap. All right, people, that's a wrap. Uh, interesting, uh, passionate people. I can't wait for part two people to have their right of reply. Yes. Um, so we'll be getting the poll ready after next week. But, yeah, that was good fun. I hope you all enjoyed it. All right. Well, over the next three weeks, we do have uh, our part two of uh, the In Excess career, What's Superior. Uh, excitingly, we have two more episodes coming up after that with a John Farris double. Uh, but we're going to go out today with a little bit of a tribute song, B, and um, I thought I'd do a little bit of navel gazing uh, gazing today, uh, a little bit of a personal one for me, if I could. Um uh, this uh, Monday coming up, October 24th, uh, would have been the day of my lovely mother's birthday. And I thought uh, she wasn't around to see the show come to fruition, but I'm sure she would have loved it. Um, I'm, sure she, I'm sure she would have been very praising and encouraging. Uh, and as such, uh, I'm going to dedicate uh, a fantastic song from uh, the first part of their career, uh, which is Love Is What I Say. And I want to say happy birthday to my dearly departed mother, uh, who I think about, dream about, and are consciously uh, 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 missing every, every every day. So, Mum, happy birthday, and uh, I hope you're safe oh, and well. That's beautiful, Hayden. Well, I'd like to dedicate this to my mum too, because my mum's um, having a, a terrible time with um, – with her partner, um, he's not not very well at the moment. So thinking of you both, and uh, yeah, it's a goodbye from B, and it's goodbye from me. From the swing,
strange all these cameras this might be like the future these might be just part of the audience one day this is the Dutchie and you've been listening to in excess access all areas with Hayden and B